a listener production. Welcome back to all you superstars. You are listening to episode 13 of the Howie Games Artist Series Part B featuring TV star and man that likes to drive cars very fast, Grant Denyer. Do not forget to check out Grant and his wife Shezzy's outstanding podcast. It's called It's All True. Okay, proceed. So of, of all the racing cars at 300 kilometres an hour, the one that got you was a monster truck, yeah. of all things. And, and again, following in your path, I can remember doing a story just on the monster trucks coming to Rod Laver Arena and the, the, I, don't know, I don't know what they run on, but the smell makes your eyes water and they said, oh, you can have a drive and I just drove it along the straight and it was the most violent um, form of any motorsport I'd I'd seen in the 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 petrol. I don't know what they use, mate, but it was making my eyes water. Yeah, it's rocket fuel. Um, that stuff is yeah, ro- yeah, rocket fuel. Ethanol. Ethanol. But but I was just driving straight at Rod Laver, very timidly. But no, you you being you thought you'd get involved jumping the thing. Channel Seven personality Grant Denyer has suffered spinal injuries in a monster truck crash at Dapto in New South Wales. He was rushed to Wollongong Hospital where he's being treated for a broken back. You know what you know what motorsport gives me? And I need to figure this out talking with my wife the other day, is it gives me you can't be anything other than present. Present in that exact singular moment. Now I've got a real busy brain. Um, mm. and it's it's annoying. It runs at a million miles an hour and it's just it's throwing shit at me all the time. I got terrible, terrible self talk. You know, it's pretty savage. Um, and it's what do you mean? Well, I just you know, I, I I'm very hard on myself. You know, so I berate myself, and you know, I, I I dread you know the future, and I regret things of the past, and but just my you know, I I think I have a fear of not being liked. Um, if I really look into it, I think I have uh, a need to please people. You know, I don't, whether that comes from a childhood thing or not, I don't. I don't really know. Um, but motorsport, all that, all goes away when when I drive because your life depends on the next corner. So that's all you can mm. think about. So it's almost the clearest my brain has ever been is when I'm doing 300 kilometres an hour in a race car. So you are completely in the moment at that point. There's no time for any extraneous thoughts. No, it's like, weirdly, it's like meditation. Fast meditation. Really fast meditation. <laughs> <laughs> Look, some people can think about beautiful, you know, sunsets and fluffy clouds. <laughs> but I think about taking your mountain panorama. But the, the, the monster truck thing was like, um, oh, yeah, cool, here's a new discipline. Um, you know, I, I like cars at high speed. What? You can jump over seven cars? Um, give me a crack at that. So I was doing a little bit of that, just turning up to the odd show here and there and just having a squirt and loving it. Um, and then I did a, a media day uh, for an event that was in Wollongong down at uh, Dapto. And uh, I jumped over several cars and um, the suspension broke. So when I, when I landed... Um, it just was rock solid, um, and that all that inertia, all that you know, a five tar, five ton car flying through the air, coming down, landing, it's going to land pretty hard. So that just all that shot up through my spine and shattered my L one into eleven pieces. The pain and the recovery and the medication required to get through it. Can you look back on it and see? how it all developed and what happened? Oh, it was a shit fight. Um, yeah, it's the pain instantly, like when, as soon as it landed, you know, I, 
I've looked at a lot of like old World War One and Two documentaries where you see blokes say, "Well, I just uh, I popped out of the trenches and started running. I didn't even realise I had no arm." Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you hear them tell those stories, I didn't realise, you know, I'd been shot or I'd lost a leg. Yes. Or I, so I formed an opinion that the body must look after you when in moments of trauma your, your body goes, you know what, you're in a bit of a bad way here, I'll take care of it, you won't feel a thing. So I've always had that in my back of my mind, which is maybe why I'm a bit more fearless than I should be. But the moment I landed in the monster truck and that vertebra just obliterated, Oh, the first thing I thought was, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> it really does hurt. Right. The first thing I thought of was those, those documentaries and I thought, they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that the way that the pain had gone up in a matter of seconds, if I didn't get out of there, you know, I was in a, I was in a hell of a lot of trouble. So that recovery from, from that kind of injury was, you know, three months of lying, lying in a lying on a hospital bed, um, unable to move. And you know, for a bloke who's lived life pedal to the metal, um, that was that was a very hard thing to do. For three months. Yeah, yeah. Because we, did, we didn't operate. So my surgeon took, took the chance and said, look, I think you'll have a better chance of 100% recovery if we don't operate. So they could have got in there and wrapped it in titanium and anchored it to the vertebra above and below. But the ongoing issues you'd normally get from those kinds of surgeries, you know, can plague you for the rest of your life. So we laid still and sort of let the collagen regrow around itself, pull all those shards back in together. Mm. But we had a shard that was right on the spinal cord as well, so it was very dangerous. So if I had, um, so I had a body brace that I could get up at least and go to the toilet with after uh, a month or so. Um, if I fell or slipped or you know, I, I might never have walked again. So it was. Yeah, it was it was it was high high risk. But watching now, your, watching your car start and go around Mount Panorama without you that was that that was that was more painful than than anything because I just I just finished the Phillip Island five hundred and I was about to right. do what was my second or third Bathurst one thousand and yeah I watched the car um, on the grid with someone else's name now on the side of it and I was I just bawled for six hours I reckon. Did you? Yeah. This is where it becomes a bit delicate because I don't know now what I know through talking to you or what is in the public sphere. So I said to you at the start, if anything comes up that you're not comfortable talking about, tell me and we cut it out. So if this becomes one of those instances, make sure you tell me. So being a man in the public eye, down the track, which I found extraordinary you started to become the person in the women's magazines, Grant Daniel's done this, Grant Daniel's done that. Um, and there was a series of articles about um, addiction, which I know hurt you and your family tremendously. Did that all stem from a reliance on painkillers when you were lying there on your back after the monster truck crash. I've put that as delicately and openly as I can and it's now up to you to decide what you want to answer or not answer, mate. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the the medicine was far worse than the injury itself, like the toll that it took, you know, on me and, and, and my wife. Um, you know, my wife became, when only just met, she instantly became my carer. Um but the medication, you are sort of you treated at the hospital, then your injury is stabilised, and then we choose we chose to kind of then just 
we had got a hospital bed at home and just and then just stayed there, unable to move. Um, but they kick you out of the door, saying, you know, just, you go and recover. But no one tells you what's going to happen with the medication, and it was horrific. Like the things that I did and said, um, you know, to my wife, I'm still ashamed of um, t- today. Um, but I now know that it's sort of par for the course for for that kind of treatment. You know, you well, you know, I was on oxycodone, oxycontin, um, you know, which is a form of heroin. You know, it's they're very very strong painkillers. But you're not given a roadmap of how to deal with that. When you leave hospital, you're just given the prescription and then the tablets are in a bag and they say, off you go. But it, that shit makes you crazy. Um, you know, I would, because you're in so much pain, whenever you close your eyes to go to sleep, you immediately go into your worst possible nightmares. Anything, any scenario that terrifies you, that'll be the first thing that you start dreaming about instantly. So you're too afraid to go to sleep, but you don't want to be awake because you're in so much pain. So like maybe it's, maybe you have a fear of someone leaving you. Now I'm, I'm newly dependent on my, on my partner to survive. So a fear of her leaving, maybe it's a fear of losing your career. Maybe it's a fear of being, you know, stabbed to death, anything. You go straight into that every single night. Now I remember waking up a couple of times when you wake up you can't tell the difference between reality and and the nightmare like you just you can't separate the two so you believe everything that happened in your dream so i would wake up thinking that there was a home invasion thinking my wife was being raped so i would come out unable to walk but do my best to get out there to save her to fight off people who i thought were in our house Gee. you know and and that's it's just endless amounts of that you know i um you know, there's this moments where I think just fed up, angry, very disoriented. Um, I wanted I wanted some scotch. We didn't have any scotch. I was like, fuck it, I want a drink. Uh, we didn't have any. So I was like, I'll go get it myself. So Shezzy thought, you know, I was down in the hospital bed, but I've got myself up. I'd left the apartment in my underwear and we, li- we lived in Chinatown in, in the CBD of, of Sydney at that point and I go – shopping in the middle of the night, you know, for, for scotch. I come back, I get lost and she finds me three hours later, like absolutely panicked. She didn't know where I was or where I'd gone. I was, I was, I'd, I'd got locked myself into the fire escape and I was asleep on the ground. I just curled yeah. up in a corner, you know, next to, yeah, someone else's human shit <laughs> was, was there. Like this, the, some dirty bastard had gone in there and done a turd, and now I was lying down next to it. Like, it's it's not a pretty it's not a pretty pretty sight. It's not a um not anything that I'm particularly proud about. But you know, I also you know I feel for anyone who's going through that kind of pain medication because it's so incredibly hard on everyone around them. It's hard for you, but mate, I it destroys marriages. I can't believe you know if i can put my wife through that well then holy hell you know she's mm. i'm a lucky lucky man you know i'm lucky that she's still here she's a strong woman so a very strong woman she's so how did you get through it and get out the other side like what did you cling to what did you hang to apart from your wonderful wife what got you back out the other side well the only thing that you have to have some form of carrot on a stick otherwise mate you you are mentally in such terrible shape that um, 
any potential bad outcome as possible. So I had motorsport. You know, motorsport was the was the flame in my belly, you know, my reason mm-hmm. to live. It was the thing that gave me an incredible amount of joy. Uh, I loved doing it, you know, and I was proud of how well I did it. So I was like, you know what, if I ever get back in a race car again and I win a race, I know that I'm 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 healed. I'm recovered. I can close the the book on on this horrible chapter and it's all done. So I remember I crashed off the meds to make the Bathurst six hour. You just stopped taking them. Yeah, yeah, which is not great. You know, that should be heavily supervised and done in stages. But, you know, I I needed to go motor racing, you know, from, from my own mental strength and my own sense of recovery and I just knew I was spiralling. So what does your body go through? Like we, I haven't experienced this. This is, comes from, you know, watching not real TV shows where people are, uh, are cutting out something in their life and, you you know, you see them shivering in a corner in a ball of sweat. Is it cliched like that or is, that's not what happens? It really is. You know, it's it really is. It's it's like anyone who's gone to rehab um, for for a drug addiction, you, 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 but without the controlled circumstances. So, yeah, you, uncontrollable anger and emotion and just pain and hurt and sadness um, to, to, to try and navigate. It's, you know, I, at one point I threw eggs at my wife, you know, just I had no idea what I was doing and no ability to control or understand it. Um, you know, I, I blamed, I, I woke up one morning and I, I found her and I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. And she's like, what? I was like, I know you went to London and back today without me, Ooh. leaving me here by myself, a cripple. And like in my head, that's what had happened. Um, and she she had to just go, yep, I did. I'm sorry. Because the more she argued against it, the more I thought she was hiding something. So it was really it was so it was so messy and just horrible and embarrassing and shameful. But the, you know, I, motorsport ended up being a great way to shorten that period. So whilst I crashed off them, got myself in a race car, you know, we finished second at the at the six hour. So I was like, right, that wasn't the win that I needed. So I'll go and do the development series um, and had the most successful season that I'd ever had, you know on the podium five of the seven rounds and won four or five races. So, and that was like, okay, you know, good. I'm, I'm fixed. I'm healed now. As you'll notice, Grant speaks in incredible detail um, and clarity. He has a podcast that he does with his wife, Shezzy, that we're talking about called It's All True. Congratulations on the podcast. We'll talk about that in a moment. You then have gone in another direction and become Mr. Game Show, <laughs> which I also consider art. Before I – I got a couple of questions. This is another thing that I've always admired about you. Your ability to smile the whole time when you're talking, I don't know how the hell you do that because I I can't look back at myself on TV, but if I see something, I seem to be frowning. I think, why can't I do it? like the little bloke from Bathurst who smiles the whole time he talks. Is that just natural talent or is that something you've practised so you do it like this? See, when I do it, I can't do it, but you can do it. <laughs> my mum growing up um, spent 
three and a half thousand dollars on braces and she's like right. you little bastard you've cost me a fortune you better use those things in the future or else <laughs> so i said noted mum <laughs> so from now on i really make sure she gets her money's worth um it, it, like it, it, for the job for that job like you bound on we'll talk about family feud you bound on and you make me feel good he's your host grant denya Because you're smiling and you're vibrant and you're happy, but it's those three and a half thousand dollar braces teeth with a smile when you're talking and introducing people. That that's what kicks the whole thing off. You're our longest serving customers so far. I feel like a handshake just doesn't do. Well, I think because I was pretty much raised by television, so um, I I find that television. The main purpose for me for television is escapism, right? Yep. I love television that takes your mind off your troubles. You you love the sport, no doubt, because you're an awesome commentator in both cricket and AFL. Thanks, mate. And motorsport. But I like television that takes me a million miles away. I like television that I know most of us have had a shit day today. I know that most of us can't afford to pay the bills. Um, I like being the thing that you can go to for just half an hour um, to forget about all that, to... Just clear all that junk and mess away and have a giggle. You know, I, I for me the role of television is to entertain and 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 to escape, you know, the hard things that we're all enduring. Mm. You know, and I, I like it when I can be that person for someone. So I think that's where the smiling and having fun and mucking around sort of comes from. And Family Feud was such a fun, loose show anyway, which is designed to sort of get you to say something stupid. <laughs> Uh, I got, it really resonated with me for that show. And, you know, it was on at 6 o'clock. And what else is on at 6 o'clock? The news. Yeah. So the news is on at 7, 9 and at 10. We, we're this little island, a little island where, man, if you don't want death and destruction and sadness and horror, come to us. Come to us and have a bloody laugh. So it was basically the weather segment in a, in a game show. So family feud. So, uh, you've, you know, you've hosted, I've written it down, Iron Chef. The Shannon Supercar Showdown, the Slide Show, Million Dollar Minute, Great Aussie Spelling Bee, Game of Games, Celebrity Name Game. Like you, 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 you're the modern day Tony Barber. But there's a bloke in America because I remember. I reckon I was still at I was still at ten when Family Feud was coming out, and you're telling me about it. And I said, "How, how are you going to do this?" And you said, I, "I think it's for this that there's a guru in America that you look at and and you watch, and that's." The fella that you would learn off. Who, who's the chap? Who's the chap? Uh, Steve Harvey. He, he, was, right. he was the guy doing it in America. Um, he was doing Family Feud, yeah? Yeah, he was, yeah. Welcome to Family Feud, everybody. I'm your man, Steve Harvey. Um, so I was kind of, I look at, you know, this is the thing. Like when, you, when you're growing up and you don't know who you are yet, you don't know what you want to be, so you invariably just become pieces of everything around you. You know, like when we were in those newsrooms, man, like far out, you know, I was faking it till I made it. Like they'd all been through yeah. university, you know, they've all got Me too, degrees. me too. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, if I'm a bit of that person, then a little bit of that person, a little bit of that person, then I'll kind of be a thing. Um, and you tend to, as you're learning in life, and if you've got mentors around you, you go, I like how that person does that and I like how that person does that. So you're sort of little bits of everyone else, you know, and, and that's – and I. And I just got to Family Feud and I was kind of like, 
you know what, don't, just do it your way. And I think that's why winning the Gold Logie ended up being so good for me personally is I just Family Feud had taken off and it was going incredibly well. So people understand, we're talking a million plus viewers a night now. Now, I love Channel 10. If they had a show now for a million plus a night, you know, they, they would cut both their legs and both arms off. And and I've got so many friends at 10 and the wheel will turn. But th- these were big, big numbers that you, you were getting on Family Feud. And you did, I don't know, what did you do, 1,500 shows or something? 1,500, yeah. It, it, it was a phenomenon. So I just wanted to get people to understand the size of what this show became. Yeah, it was um, the network was struggling for for something to work, anything to work. Um, so, well, it had the big bash, mate. Had the big bash, and uh, well, that was the only that, thing that was working at the time. That, You're right. That was ticking over, okay. At the front end of the year, and then it all sort of just went off a cliff. The moment you you blokes hung up your microphones. Well, the amount of promos we do for Family Feud, <laughs> we got to do another. We did a promo two overs ago. No, we need another promo for Family Feud. Like you were on the Big Bash more than Chris Gale was on the Big Bash. There was that many promos rolling out with you with your little smiling face. Well, it worked, mate. <laughs> yeah, it did. Well, a million plus. And I, and I say that. They were enormous numbers that the game show was getting at 6 o'clock against the news. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that because I thought the idea of bringing back an old format was a bit of a lazy idea rather than pioneer something, you know, different and groundbreaking and completely new. You know, I was more excited by doing that than slipping into a show that someone else had, had kind mm. of hosted, let alone a rotation of people that had been through. That wasn't that appealing to me. So I initially sort of said no to it for that reason. Because I didn't think it was a, I didn't think it was a strategic power play, but that moment in time, yeah, I didn't think it would go that well. But I think the news was so heavy at that particular moment in time. I think it was around the time we were starting to get a heck of a lot of the ISIS stuff. So news okay, was okay. real heavy, real heavy, you know. And there was beheadings and super graphic, not something you'd ever want to watch with your children or you'd ever want them to, nothing you'd really ever want to have on in the lounge room full stop, to be honest. Um, And so we became this really important place for people to go to, to avoid all of that. Um, You you mean every member of the family can yell out answers of the television? Everyone can play, grandma, the kids, and just have a laugh and laugh at someone else saying something stupid? Mate, it just... It was a moment in time and it was brilliant. And I'm so lucky that I that I was offered it and, and so lucky that I came around and said yes to it um, because it sort of it, it birthed me into a new person because I'd been growing up, oh, I might be a little bit of Larry Emder, I might be a little bit of Daryl Summers, a little bit of Roe McManus. You know, I was pieces of someone. You know, I'd finally just gone, you know what, just do it your way. And I, for the first time in my life, I, I was. I felt like my own person. I felt like I'd, I'd grown into my own skin, and it was a really lovely re- revelation. It, it was good, clean fun. I, I was looking back at some clips of it uh, on Friday when I was reading a bit more about you, um, and then I decided I didn't need to read any more about you because I know the real you rather than the you that's reported. But you know, it was uh, I don't know the the thing you look for in a partner. And, <laughs> The lady said height and then she looked at you and you didn't have enough to speak and it was just your wonderful, because you're not the tallest man, it was just, it was warm and embracing and comforting. What's the highest priority for you when you're looking for a partner? Jessica. Height. <laughs> like you say, it's offset from the newsrooms we came from. It's like... 
it's like comfort food. Yeah, exactly. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. And that's absolutely okay. You know, I, I used to not like game shows. I, I when I was working at Channel Seven, I I said I'll never do a game show because I, I feel like you're a used car salesman. Um, you know, just smiling for no reason at all and just just flogging products in prizes. Um, and, and I got that wrong. You know, I, I found one that worked for me and and I loved that people came on the show to be made fun of. Yeah. Not in a horrible way, but in a it's it's become a badge of honor that I've said something stupid and GD has just paid out on me. Like that's yeah. what that's yeah. what they came to receive. <laughs> but no no one gets hurt. Like no everyone home everyone leaves home fine and safe and healed. Uh, but you know, you you say something wrong, man, are we going to give it to you between the eyes in both barrels? And that became really fun because uh, it was always done in the right spirit. Yeah, that was cool. Back to the guru shortly. Another man who is a genuine TV star featured on episode seven of the Artist Series back in the first series, Andy Lee. Go back, check out the back catalogue. It's around September 2021 where the Artist Series pops up, the first series. What you may not know, though, about Andy is he was a foundation member of the Melbourne Stars. Timmy Faulkner was batting and Malinga walked out for his 12 balls and, uh, and, and, and he was coming around to the net that Timmy was in and Timmy just stopped and said, "Now nah, piss off, mate, piss off, next net. <laughs> Don't want you. Like, want yeah, he goes. Don't have to face you. I don't have to face you in the comp. So you know, you're the only one. Nah, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> and one day I padded up and I wanted to face Malinga. I was like, oh, I just want to, this one opportunity to face Malinga. And so I've gone down and 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 Faulkner's going, mate, don't don't do it. Don't just. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have faith in you. So I went down and I was sitting there and I said to him, um, to Lass, I said, hey, Lass, I'll tell you what. Can I just have a sighter? Like to send one down, I'll step back and, you know, I took a you know, half step back and I was put it on off stump and I was have a sighter. Didn't see it. Didn't, didn't bother facing one. Just, that was it. <laughs> that was it. It rocketed, but also it's hidden for so long. There's no way of predicting, predicting where it was going to come from. So bang, uh, I, I said, oh, look, I'll leave this one. I, I won't do it. And, <laughs> Did uh, you face the king or not? Yeah, face the king a few, fair few times. Because um, that, that to me always appeals because you face Malinga, you can get hurt. Yep. You face Warney, yep. you can actually see the skill of the man that's there. Absolutely. But people don't realise how fast Warney yes. bowls. Like, and it's it makes this sound in the air when the ball's coming down. It goes... Everybody says this. And you sit there and go, it's so daunting, you know, <laughs> and it gets closer, you kind of start... You know. <laughs> That is Andy Lee on episode seven of the Artist Series. Do yourself a favour. Alrighty, back to Grant. You're a man that obviously wears many hats. Uh, so when you're uh, not sleeping much and you're you're floating around Australia on sunrise, or then you're getting married and you're having a beautiful young family, and then you're doing game shows and you're getting on planes and wherever you go, people recognise you and they're writing things about you in magazines, etc. Mental health has become a massive part of the way we live now. And your children, as mine are, talk about it openly in school and they're taught about it with things like the Resilience Project, a fella named Hugh who does an amazing job and. My kids talk openly about mental health, like they've got a sore knee or something's not happy in their head. 
um, which we didn't do. No. How have you managed to deal with the ups and downs and the mental side of life when you have become a person that you walk into any milk bar in Australia, do we still have milk bars? I should say any 7-Eleven in Australia. <laughs> someone someone will recognise you and want to see that big cheesy smile and say g'day. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's why I live in the, on, on the farm, to be honest, um, is because I'd turn myself up to 11 when, when I make telly. Mm. Um, but then there's also an expectation that when someone meets you that that, that that's what they want from you as well. Mm. They want you to be that. And I can't maintain that 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 kind of energy full time. So I need to restore and replenish. You know, when you're making game shows, you're making six of those a day, you might do three days in a row. So, you know, you're you're talking, you know, nearly nearly twenty odd shows in seventy two hours. With um, the energizer bunny attitude that you bring to it. Yeah. That's that's full on. So it, it goes like you do it three days, you just go bang them out, do you? Yep. Yep. And because it's cost effective to do that way and, and you sort of you know it's safe studio time and you just get in a nice rhythm and you can b- b- knock them out, you know, with great efficiency. But I I need then to, and this is what I learned from, you know, this is what I learned from doing those three disasters back to back that I was telling you about before, cyclone, the floods and the earthquakes in Christchurch, is I need need to listen to my body because I've never done that before. And I ran myself into the ground um, by ignoring all those signs. Breaking my back was a blessing and a curse. It it gave me the gift of appreciating um, life. Because, you know, I can walk, all right? So I've got a second chance here. I'm going to, wow, everything's a gift. Um, I'm really going to wring the juice out of this now. So I went harder than I've ever gone before. Um, Now, I now know that I think I broke my back because my body was trying to say, slow the hell down, or the universe Mm. was trying to sit me on my ass because I wasn't listening. Now, instead of me learning that lesson, I was like, everything's a gift. I'm going to go even bigger. Look at me. I can walk now. I'm invincible. (laughs) Not even a broken back can hold me down. Um, Worst response ever. (laughs) Uh, And I just ran myself into the ground with chronic fatigue. You know, I just went, you know, I was doing all the sunrise stuff, extra shows, racing on weekends, just pushing the limit, pushing the limit because I thought I'd been given a second chance when – you know, I learned the hard way. I got chronic fatigue, um, which took me quite a while to to get out of. And you know, I from that moment on, I I now listen to my body. So whilst I can make all those game shows and be at eleven for everyone, I then come home to the farm and pretend I'm a farmer. So do you look at anything out there? And I can't wait to see the Grant Daniel live show. I'll be front and center with that with my children and my wonderful wife Erica. Is there like you've climbed? Every mountain, mate. You could stay up in that farm now and never appear on TV again. And you know, the, the gold logie was—it was emotional for you, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed how emotional you were, and obviously what it meant to you and all the people that had helped you get there. Um, Family Feud came along for me in my life at a time when I, I really wasn't quite sure if I'd ever work again or if I even wanted to. Um, I wasn't particularly in a, in a very good place. Um, I wasn't very well. I was in a bit of a hole. I was pretty sad. I was a bit lost. And Family Feud came along and I was, in fact, I was very unwell. I was very unwell at that particular time. And Family Feud gave me a ladder out of that hole. And I'm very lucky to have had it. It gave me my mojo back. It gave me my confidence. It gave me some courage. I rebuilt myself. It gave me a new attitude. And I figured out it's never too late to improve yourself, to be kind to other people, 
and to know that you can always be a better you and you can have a much better positive influence on other people. So family few, thank you so much. You saved me. But are there shows that you have in your head or shows that you see elsewhere? Because there's so many franchises now that you think, I'd like to have a crack at that. Yeah, I still like, um, I like anything that's, I, I like silly. You know, I really love silly. I think silly is a really healthy, healthy thing to have. You know what it's like with your girls. If you do something silly, just hearing their little laughs, um, mm. it, I think we underestimate the power of silly. Sometimes television likes to be grand. It likes to be big. It likes to be important. It likes to give away a bazillion dollars. You know, it's the show you can't afford to miss, et cetera, et cetera. But I like the shows that are just silly. You know, I, you know, I was a big fan of The Late Show growing up, you know, <laughs> with, with those guys from, from Working Dog. You know, that's one of the reasons, you know, I think – I wanted to go into television because I love that show so much because it was just so gorgeously silly. You know, I'd love to create, you know, I'd love to create the new generation Hey Hey It's Saturday. You know, I think that that staple of still creating a show and Family Feud could do this to a degree, although we're all off in different rooms on different devices these days, creating that show that still brings people back to the central couch in the central lounge room that you can consume together and just laugh you know, I think is 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 a beautiful card to play. You know, I'd, I'd I'd love that. I like live variety. I like live variety where there's you know there's some stunts, there's some games. You're pulling pranks on one another. It's just stupid because I think life is so goddamn hard for so many that I think silly and stupid is 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 has a lot of healing properties in it. And interviews. When you interview the big stars, whether it's uh, Norman, Greg Norman, Justin Bieber, Oprah Winfrey, Sir Edmund Hillary, the, these people, um, Michael Bublé, how do you go into that when you walk into a room? And and most of those people I would imagine, uh, I've sat down with Greg Norman and you know he's in the room before he even gets there, like the, the presence of the man. Um, the Biebers and the Oprah Winfrey's, how do you go about going in there as Grant, the bloke from growing up in a farm in Australia to interviewing World, world famous operators. I think you do that way better than I do. Um, that's something that I've watched you do that you have an incredible gift of. You can immediately, you're such an easy bloke to like. Um, you just, you're so, you watch, I've watched you do it. You've got qualities that I've watched you do where I was like, damn, I wish I could do that. Well, you, there's a rarity. You, Thank you. <laughs> People instantly love you without you needing to do anything, but you're very generous. You'll always meet them on an equal level. You'll you'll never go down and you'll never go above. And I, that that is so welcoming to someone because they realise that you're genuinely up for a chat and they'll give you genuine answers. Um, I I struggle in those environments, to be honest, because I, I don't know how to play them. And I feel like because you do it so well that I, if I can't do it well, I won't bother <laughs> So right. I go make a different kind of television. Um, yeah, but you've done you've you've done it. You've had to do a lot of those on Sunrise, where you know you, you've got to walk in and you get X number of minutes with. I'm I'm talking Oprah Winfrey or Justin Bieber, and they might be doing four other interviews, and you've got to walk in there and provide something that connects with them in a very short period of time to provide your audience with something that the other audiences around the world might not necessarily be getting, and the pressure to do it. Because if you send back a crap interview, 
like the viewer will pick up on it, but Koshi and Mel and the producers and Nat and whoever else you're working with, they all know, ah, geez, he didn't, he didn't make the most of that. Yeah, see, that's a hard part because I've got this, you know, we were talking about self-talk before, how mine's a bit savage. Yep. My problem instantly is I go, they don't want to hear from me. I've got nothing to offer them. I'm not on their level. Um, right. They're smarter than I am. So I often use the trick to, to establish a form of engagement. So with um, Oprah Winfrey was, I <laughs> I just learned to play the ukulele the night before and I, <laughs> I wrote her a song <laughs> and she, and she, it wasn't to her face. It was, she, I, I hadn't met her yet and like we couldn't get anywhere near her. So I just did it in one of my weather crosses. I said, Oprah, if you're watching this right now from your hotel room, getting ready to do your show today, um, this one's for you. And I just sang her this song and literally 20 minutes later this limo pulls up, right, this black this black window goes down and it was her best friend Gail was in there and Gail was out in Australia as well. She goes, hey, you're the cute little Aussie weather guy. And I was like, yeah, she goes, get in, get in. And so I get in the limo with her and she takes me to meet Oprah and then we had a chat. Watching you all morning, and I said, I just said to Joel, "Where's the sunrise guy? I want to talk to him." Oh, you're kidding! How you guys lovely are so are you? much fun. We, I got the biggest kick out of you when Oprah came and you said, and she said, "Hello, sunrise," because we have been watching. You guys are great. I think my heart skipped. A but it was the, you know, it was we could, we, we had a place <laughs> to start from, which was the ukulele thing, and then it kind of spiraled into other, you know, other forms of, you know, questions and and, and moments, but. Yeah, I I feel like I I feel like an imposter when I'm when I'm when I'm sort of sitting down with someone who's a who's a big name. It doesn't come across like that. Podcasting. I love my wife more than anything in my world. I could not do a podcast <laughs> with my wife for, for various reasons. <laughs> you, you do a podcast with Shazzy called "It's All True." How do you decide? People need to listen to the podcast, and I hope they listen to this now if they're, if they're not aware of Grant's podcast and start listening to it because it's it provides a service to many people because it's honest. To me, it seems unfiltered. How do you decide how much of your life to share and how much to keep to yourself? Well, we had a problem where our personal life was not remaining personal anyway. Like you talk about those, those lady magazines, yep. women's magazines, um, newspapers, we're writing anything, like absolutely anything they want. What's that like for friends and family? Um, it's uncomfortable. Um, it's uncomfortable to have to pick your kids up from school um, and wonder whether the other mums there are, are judging you or they think mm. that the thing that they read um, w- would be true. Uh, it's, you know, you sort of, you do carry around a lot of shame even though the stories are made up mm. because you know that even though some people don't believe it, some do. Um, and that's, that's, that's hard. So we thought, well, why should we just let them just slash and burn us in the public eye with no right of reply? Why don't we create a platform where we can tell them th- what the real truth is? And sometimes the real truth is he- heaps juicier than the one they made up anyway. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a way for us to take the power back a little bit because, you know, we we're getting thrashed around a fair bit and, if you let it go unchecked, yeah, was back to the cancellation thing earlier on. If you let it go unchecked um, without a right of reply, is you start to become unemployable, you know, because you're tainted with a brush and networks don't want to take risks um, 
and you know hits are hard to get these days so you don't want some someone who's coming along with it with a bad um public rap so we just took the power back created our podcast corrected all wrongs and just had a bit of fun doing it so yeah yeah it's it surprised me how 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 well it's gone enjoy it i hear you with the working with the wife thing i love it when our relationship (laughs) is purely just husband and wife but sometimes we have to work together as a team. She sort of helps run 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 the business and coordinates, you know, with my manager where I'm going, what I'm doing, and um, and th- that that adds a, a, a trickier element. <laughs> you know, my biggest fear is this podcast goes so well that we get a breakfast radio gig somewhere. <laughs> oh no, not at six a.m. You can't be doing this at six a.m. <laughs> you can't. No, not with your wife or your husband or whoever it is. I I think that's a Imagine having a fight the night before, then having to rock oh. up and pretend everything is okay and tell. Be all bright and shiny. Yeah. <laughs> it's a grand Chessy show. It's five past six. And uh, how was your night last night? Well, you know how it was, darling. We had a massive blue about you didn't do this. <laughs> Yeah. I think, um, I think there was a couple in the UK that did a breakfast. It might have been a television show together. They were husband and wife. Oh, no longer together. So, no. Yeah, no. no and no. then the show can't kick on. No, I just split up. The show's not going on. So you lose both. Um, mate, we always finish this show with, with the same the same way. Um, and I always say this and I, I, I mean it that we're very fortunate that a lot of kids listen to this podcast with their parents on the way to their training or their school or whatever it is they're doing. And it fills me with joy when we get messages saying, you know, we're driving around Australia and we listen to Kathy Freeman with the kids and they asked a lot of questions about her and we're able to explain certain things to them. It, 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 we should have told me that before we started. I might have changed <laughs> some of the material in there. We went pretty <laughs> – no, no, we went no, deep, no, brother. No, 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 no. But, but I think kids are so much more um, – Kids are so much more aware these days, mate. It's there and they understand topics about um, sexuality and race and mental health that we, we, we had no concept of. So, no, I think, I think you're fine, mate. Um, mate, I think, you know what, I, in the same way that I, I said I wanted to show my girls what's possible rather than contain my life and live a smaller life and just be around them and be safe, wrap myself in cotton wool, I wanted to show them you know, the benefits of, of shooting for the stars, right? Mm. But I think I also want to, I want to prove that we've had some real bad lows, you know, mm. and I've failed a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes and that's okay too. You know, that's a part of being human and trying to, rem- if, if, if you surround someone's bad moment or mistake they made with shame, and they're constantly sort of living in the shadow of that. But I think I just want them to know that mistakes, it's okay to fail. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to stuff it up because you can rebound. You know, you are not, you're not the sum of the worst thing you've ever done. And I think that's important for them to realise. And, and I'm so glad that kids, their eyes are wider, their ears listen more deeply and they've got better tools around them. So it's a great answer before I even pose the question to you, and that may be your answer. Advice for those youngsters that are wanting to succeed. You've been successful in many fields. Is that the form of advice that you would give? I, I love – I I can't tell my kids enough in a week that failing is okay. Um, at least you've had a go. Um, that's close to my heart. Is that is that where it would come for you? 
Yeah, you you know that famous, um, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yes. That's a great sporting analogy, but I think it works perfectly for life. You know, sometimes we can be, I think, you know, I'm a perfectionist and it's a horrible affliction. It means that if I don't think I'm going to be good at something, I won't even attempt it. I hate that because that means I miss out on the amazing things that I didn't even forecast that would come just from having a go. You know, if you, you don't need to know the end outcome to start something. And that's important. I have such a fear of failure that it, it it's like shackles and I have to work very hard for it not to mm. affect me. And I don't want my girls to be limited by that. But you need failure. You need failure. More importantly than to learn a lesson from, it stops you from going down a path in which was the wrong direction for you in the first place. It's actually a perfect thing. You know, it gives you the ability to turn around and go, okay, well, that way's not for me. Maybe this way is. And it only ultimately leads you to a happier place. You know, I think because of things like social media where perfectionism is celebrated, where everything Mm. is perfect, we forget the power of flaws and mistakes and... um, I've certainly learnt more and my career has gained more from the errors that I've made than the successes. I love the answer. I've heard this answer 160 times and that that is one that is right up there for me. I, I love what it represents, mate. I started this podcast by pumping you up. I want to finish the same way. Um, I knew it would be fun chatting with you. I hope people enjoy the episode but I hope people understand what you've been through and what you've achieved. As I said, mate, um, the gold logie, was trimmings to show that you, you, you've been the biggest star in Australian television in the last 20 years. I look forward to seeing what is next because, you know, you were the funny guy in the news and then that's the role I had to take and then you were the motorsport guy and that's the role I had to take in your overalls. I haven't cracked game shows yet, but I always follow what you're doing next because it seems to end up heading back my way at some stage. So maybe we need a stage show. I look forward to seeing that. But you're a star, mate, and I'm glad to see you happy and healthy and a loving father and a loving husband and doing so well in life. Thank you, mate. And look, if it doesn't work out well for either of us, you know, maybe life will go full circle. You can go back to interviewing that sheep and I'll go back to interviewing <laughs> the horse that slept in that woman's bed. <laughs> You're a star, mate. Thanks for joining me on the Howie Games Artist Series. Love you, mate. What an absolute legend GD is. Thank you to Grant for coming on the show. He is a superstar. I hope you all laughed as much as I did. I look forward to seeing what the little man's next hit on TV is because there will be plenty more. All righty, hectic times on the show. Tommy, (laughs) he's under the pump. The normal Howie Games episode drops on Thursday as always. Then next Tuesday on the Howie Games Artist Series, Robert Craddock. Until then, (laughs) peace and love. 